Well, it is Palm Sunday. And I always uh, struggle in, in certainly not so much around Easter because that is the celebration of the um, resurrection of Jesus, but other holidays and things that, that come along. A lot of folks theme their messages around those days, and I struggle with that uh, sometimes. I just, I got something in my heart and I want to preach it. And, uh, but today, the Lord spoke to me about this, and I, and I think we ought to talk about Jesus. Isn't that phenomenal? You know how many churches actually exist and never say his name? There are plenty of churches that never speak the name of Jesus. But I want to share some things with you, uh, particularly around Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday is traditionally a celebration of the day that uh, Jesus entered Jerusalem riding upon uh, a donkey that had never been ridden on before. The kind of guy gets on a donkey that's never been ridden. He's likely to get bucked off. You go try it, it'll happen to you. But it didn't happen to Jesus. So I want to read some scripture to you, and then I just want to talk to you about these passages of scripture. Zechariah chapter 9. There you go, honey. She loves me. Takes a mint right out of my mouth. That's love. That's love. No, she didn't put it in her mouth. She loves me, but not that much. Zechariah 9, verse 9 and 10 says this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a don- the, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off, now listen to this, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and the river uh, to the ends, uh, and from the river to the ends of the earth. Zechariah 9 9 was an Old Test- is an Old Testament prophecy that we realize now. How many understand? You can sure understand the prophetic when you're looking back on it. I don't, I don't know that Zechariah knew exactly what he was prophesying when he was prophesying that. I think he went home from that prophetic expression and he said, what does all that mean? Riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Yeah, I'm sure Zechariah understood that meant a donkey that had never been ridden and he's like, who's going to do that? Who's going who's to jump up on the back of a donkey that's never been ridden? Let me, let me read to you Mark uh, chapter 11. We'll begin with verse 11 and we'll read, uh, no, verse 1 and read down through uh, verse 11. Now when they drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. He said to them, go into the village opposite of you and as soon as you have entered it, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it here. So they went their way, and they found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. Someone who stood there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded, and so they let them go. 
They brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. Many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down uh, leafy branches or some uh, of your Bibles may say palm branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. And then those who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked around at all things as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So I want to talk to you about this, this historical event particularly uh, from the perspective of those uh, who were present that day. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on this donkey, uh, a fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9, that I want you to understand, and I want you to understand what those people, those individuals who had been schooled in in, uh, Old Testament what is now Old Testament learning, they had learned to memorize the first five books of the Bible. They had been taught all of those prophecies. They had learned, uh, they knew exactly what was happening. Some of them liked it and some of them didn't. Not unlike our day. When we look around and we know what's happening and some of us like it and some of us don't. Attend a a Trump rally. Some like it, some don't. Those people knew exactly what was going on. They'd heard the prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9. And they had historical training from their perspective and from their historical experience that said much more to them about this, uh, that this event said much more to them than it would to us at first glance. So I I just want to share with you a couple of things. First of all, we understand, we've read Zechariah 9.9, Jesus was fulfilling prophecy. I don't know if he was intentionally thinking, wow, uh, my time is short, I better get that Zechariah prophecy fulfilled. I don't think that was the case. Because I don't believe that in as much as Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies concerning the coming Messiah, I don't think that he was walking through his life going, ooh, got that one, got that one checked off that prophecy, that that wasn't what was going on. He was living out his life, and the Spirit of God was ordering his steps, because the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord, and in the process of the ordering of his steps, all the prophecies concerning him were being fulfilled. Are you here? Whenever God gives you a word, if you set out to fulfill it yourself, I assure you that you will mess it up. Now move toward it deliberately, yes. In fact, there's some stories in the Old Testament about how some folks set out to fulfill the word of the Lord and they messed it up pretty bad. We won't get into that or I'll take a dirt road. But Matthew points out in Matthew chapter 21 uh, that... uh, what would have been obvious to the people in Jesus' time. This took place to fulfill what was spoken in Zechariah chapter 9 about how Israel's uh, Messiah and king would come to them riding on a donkey. The people of Jerusalem, including Jesus' enemies, 
understood very, cl- very clearly the claims that he was making that day. That ride, Jesus was making claims. Let's talk about those claims. First of all, he was claiming to be royalty. Jesus' choice to ride a donkey, donkey proclaimed his kingship. The, Ro- the Rolls Royce of the day for kings was the donkey. When a king was coming into a community and he was coming in peace, he didn't ride his war horse. He rode his donkey. When he was coming to straighten things out, he was on his noble steed. He was on his trained, his horse that was trained for war. No king went to war on a donkey. Jesus was coming to declare his royalty. Remember when King David made Solomon king after him in 1 Kings chapter 1 and 44? Uh, they began to uh, take Solomon through the streets on the back of uh, the king's mule. And the word says, Our Lord King David has made Solomon king. The king has sent him... Uh, uh, Zodak the priest and Nathan the prophet, and they just led him through the streets and started declaring, long live the king. Believe me, all of those people in Israel had been taught that, and they had seen the king ride in times of peace on the back of a mule, and they knew what Jesus was saying. So he was making some of them very happy, and he was making others very, very unhappy. Believe me, when the news spread of this event, this is probably some of the things that prompted what happened next week. So he was claiming to be royalty. Jesus was also claiming to be righteous. In Zechariah 9.9, the scripture we just read says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just or righteous. Jesus was claiming to be righteous. We now declare, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm not good on my own. I can't can't do enough to make myself righteous, but because of his blood applied to my sin, the forgiveness, me of my sin. He makes me right with God. I can walk into his presence because of what Jesus did. Jesus was saying, I am righteous. I am royalty and I am righteous. He was the sinless king of kings and lord of lords. They didn't know that he was sinless, but he knew that he was righteous and he was declaring, I'm righteous, I am just. He was claiming to be gentle. Listen to what the scripture says about Jesus in in this particular characteristic. Zechariah 9.9, again, we read, Greatly rejoice, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just having salvation, lowly or gentle, riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus said something of himself in, uh, in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 29, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. 
For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This is what Guy was talking about. He had, he had said, Lord, come into my life, but he had held God at a distance. Can I pick on you, Guy? He had held God at a distance. And when he put his arm down and he let everything God wanted to give him come in, he found rest. That's what he was describing to you. All of a sudden, the things that used to be a struggle weren't a struggle anymore. Came to that place of freedom that is declared in God. He found rest in the presence of of Jesus, the gentle, lowly Savior. Not weak. Don't misunderstand gentleness for weakness. It's like... I think... Here we go. Let's just lose this thing today. I don't know if this one's long enough. I don't like being on a short string. Don't confuse gentleness and meekness in the life of our Savior with weakness. It always amazes me that you can drive. I grew up in, in farming experience, and, and you can drive down the road, and you can see these fences, fences that are up, and, and the, the, the wire along the fences, and there's these big old bulls behind the fence. We're going to try that one. And they, whoa, hallelujah. And they have within their power the ability to just push that post over and go right on by. But they don't know it. And when you go to the circus and they have an elephant and he's got a little chain around his leg and he's tied to a post in the ground, he could yank it in a heartbeat, but he doesn't know it. Don't confuse the fact that the Lord was gentle and meek in character with some kind of weakness. Don't confuse. Oh, when I was collecting for the government, I, I, I love this story. When I was collecting for the Internal Revenue Service, how many of y'all just shuddered when I said that? Yes, I was a tax collector and I am a preacher. There's a biblical parallel. When I was collecting for the government, I would walk in and I would interview clients and, and uh, they would say, how do you do this job? You're so nice. And I said, don't ever put me in a position where I have to do my job. <laughs> and I pulled out my commission and I said, you see this? This gives me authority to do what I need to do in this situation. Don't put me in a position where I have to be enforcing my strength. Don't confuse nice and gentle with weakness. He is gentle, but he is strong. So, but you want him to be Gentle. You want him to have that characteristic. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I'm gentle and humble in heart. Remember the woman that was caught in adultery? She was a woman that no rabbi would have ever had a discussion with. 
No rabbi would have ever stopped by and had a conversation with this lady. And every other rabbi in, in uh, the Jewish experience in that day, in, the, in Judaism, if she had been put at their feet and they would have said, what do we do with her? He would have said, the law says stone her, so stone her. And he would have walked away and really thought nothing about it. But Jesus ignores them for a few minutes. I mean, I understand that when tempers are flaring, it might be a good time to just chill. When you're all at work and somebody's getting hot under the collar, take a few minutes and chill. That's what Jesus did. The Bible says he just began to write in the sand. Nobody knows what he wrote. He might have been drawing goofy pictures. He might have been, I don't know what he was doing. I kind of think he wrote adultery, and then he wrote lying and cheating and stealing and some of these other things, because the next thing he said was, first one among you who has no sin. I think he was writing down what everybody in there knew about themselves. But that's just my observation. But he had a gentle response to her. And then he says, woman, where are your accusers? And she said, Apparently there aren't any. And he said, all right, go and sin no more. He just brought that moment of restoration to her because he was gentle. You want that characteristic in the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He dealt the same way in Matthew chapter 19 with children when he said, suffer the little children to come unto me. Don't forbid them. Don't keep them away from me. This is why my mother-in-law is not here today. Um, uh, She lives in a... uh, retirement mobile home park. We chose that for them. She didn't want that. It wasn't her first choice. She said, I don't want, here's this, I don't want to live around old people. (laughs) Here's old people saying, I don't want to live around old people. Because she wants the children around her. She wants the youth around her. This was Jesus don't forbid children to come into me, except your heart is as a little child. You cannot even enter in. Unless your heart is like one of these trusting children that just jump up on daddy's lap and know that everything is going to be okay. Unless your heart is that kind of faithful and that kind of faith-filled, you can't even enter in. You approach, there are people who pray, who approach the Father, and before they ever open their mouth in prayer, they really don't believe that he's hearing their prayer or answering it. Or that he would ever give them the good things that they ask for. But the Bible says it's your Father's good pleasure to give you good gifts. He delights in it. Christmas and birthdays, I love Christmas. I I love watching my children Open their gifts. Jesus loves watching you open the gifts that he gives. Guy, when you open that gift of the Holy Spirit and you let yourself be open to receive it, God was delighted in that. When you let God pour into you new things that you've never had before, he's delighted. He's, he's having more fun. He's having daddy fun in that moment. Some of y'all didn't have good father experiences. But in Jesus, you get to have one. 
In God, you get to have a good father experience. If you had a bad one, just toss that one away and get up on his lap. He's waiting to receive you. He's delighted to pour good things into your life. He'll, ta- he'll wash away every one of those places of brokenness as you develop your relationship with him. He's gentle. He's loving. If you had a harsh daddy, don't put that on God. He's not that way at all. The Bible says of him in Isaiah chapter 53, uh, talking particularly about his crucifixion, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shares, he is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Not because he couldn't. Not because he didn't have the option to walk away from that moment. He stayed there silently because he loved you. He stayed there silently because he loved me. He likes me best. I hope you feel that way. I hope you feel that way. So he was claiming to be gentle. The other thing that Jesus was claiming when he rode upon this donkey was he was claiming to be a peacemaker. We read in in, uh, Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 10, I will cut off uh, the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow will be cut off. He'll make peace. uh, He'll speak peace to the nations. His dominion will be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Peace. He got on that donkey and he rode into Jerusalem. He was riding the chariot of peace. He was saying to them, great will be your peace. I'm going to cut off the bow. I'm going to, I'm going to remove the war horse from your presence. Uh, w- this is going to be a place of peace. He is the prince of peace. When he comes into your life, here's what happens. You get saved. You receive Jesus. We call it honeymoon period, that time when, when everything is good and you just feel all this wonderful things. And then the Holy Spirit comes in and begins to make changes. And then there's a little bit of turmoil, depending on how you respond to the changes. And then there's peace. But if your relationship with him is right, there's peace that follows you through all the transition and all the turmoil. He's the Prince of Peace. We have Peace, the peace of God, the scripture says, the peace of God, peace that passes understanding, peace that resides in you even when you should be frustrated. I think you can just walk with God so long that you can even try to be frustrated and you just can't get there because of the peace. I try to be upset, but there's just too much peace. We have the peace of God. The Bible says it's peace that passes understanding beyond our comprehension. Peace that is beyond comprehension. And then we have peace with God that gives us access to his presence. Will you quit letting the devil tell you God's mad at you? All the mad at you that God was, was taken out on Jesus at the cross. All of the mad at you that God was, Because there is and must be the shedding of blood for redemption of sin. All the mad at you that God was, was taken at the cross. He's not mad at you. 
And every time I look back and I realize that I have failed or that I have done something foolish or that I have said something I shouldn't or that I have responded outside of faith, I have that process that my mind goes through that I have to remind myself to be quick to repent. We have an advocate with the Father. He is not mad at me. He is never disappointed. He's saying, just come on back. Just get back in here. Don't let, don't let time between your fails, failures and your repentance grow to any amount. Just get in his face, thank him for his redemption, and get back on board. Amen? So he was claiming to be peacemaker. Listen, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19. If ever you were to memorize a scripture, this might be a verse that you as believers would want to memorize. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. God was reconciling the world to himself and placing in us the declaration, be reconciled to God and to one another. Be reconciled. Always amazes me believers that live in constant division in their homes and extended families and workplaces because they've been given the message of reconciliation. And if you approached every divisive moment in your life with the message of reconciliation, great would be your peace. Always targeting reconciliation. Now, there's uncomfortable periods of time where things have to be corrected and set in order. Don't get me wrong. Don't skip that. You just go around the map. Set things in order. But be reconciled. To God and to one another. He's given us the message of reconciliation. The other thing that's so wonderful, Jesus was claiming to be Messiah. He was making the public claim that he was the Messiah. Every one of them had been taught the scriptures. All those Jewish young men knew that Zechariah had promised that the Messiah would ride on the back of a donkey. And he comes into the streets of Jerusalem Listen to what Zechariah 9.9 says. I know I've read this repeatedly. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. Remember when Christmas story, around those events, the angel of the Lord spoke to Joseph and he prophesied in Matthew chapter 1, she will give birth to a son. You're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Joseph was told that at his birth or at his conception. And then Jesus comes in to Jerusalem declaring, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. He's still declaring, I'm right here. I'm right here. We look everywhere else for our answers. He's, he's always declaring, I'm right here. I'm right here. Just come. Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come, 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 come. I'm right here. Jesus, we love you. 
we love you. I think as we sit in this Easter season and, and, and we pass through Palm Sunday and I, I wouldn't be surprised. You know there are people who are sensationalists, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if on those days before the crucifixion, if some of those same people who were in the crowd singing Hosanna and throwing palm branches on the ground were not in the crowd yelling, crucify him. Maybe they didn't even make the connection that that guy that was beaten up there beyond recognition was the same guy that they had worshipped as he rode into Jerusalem the week before. Because there are some people who just like the excitement of a crowd. Let's not be those people. Jesus, we love you.